0: Let's turn now together to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It's on page 554 of your church Bibles. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Thank you to Richard for leading our service this evening. Uh, and thank you to all of you for joining us this evening. It's lovely uh, to see you all. And I, I'd like to extend my greeting uh, alongside Richard's. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Uh, we'll begin in verse 1. We're going to read the whole, the whole chapter. It's not very long. Uh, 22 verses. And this is God's word. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear him before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. and In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God, All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upwards and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. Uh, There was a film when I was a, a kid that, that came out about a, a group of, of men from the city uh, who went out to the, the American West for an adventure. Uh, the, the, they were doing something, uh, something kind of ridiculous. I think they were, they were driving uh, or, or herding cattle. It was a cattle drive, uh, which is sort of the, the most manly thing you can possibly do, isn't it? You, know, you, you get a cowboy hat, you ride a horse, and you, you teach the cattle... Uh, where to go. You lead them out. Uh, it's, it's, uh, the, it was sort of a, a manly adventure that they set out on because this, the, these middle-aged men, the, the city slickers as they were called, uh, one of them in particular was trying to, to find himself. I know those of you in your 20s think right now you're trying to find yourself. Just wait till you're 40 and, and you've worked a, a miserable job and, and you, you know, you're, you're in middle management. And you're wondering, am I ever, you know, am I ever going to get above that? Is life going to get any better than this? Is am I just stuck with with uh, spreadsheets or or, or uh, you know flipping burgers for the rest of my life? And so these these men go out though on on this adventure, and they're they're looking to find themselves. And and one of the the lead uh, cattle herders, a, a guy named Curly, of all things. Uh, he he's this tough as nails cowboy, and and the one the the guy trying to find himself he connects with with this man Curly, and Curly sort of in his sage wisdom looks at him one day and says, you know life is all about just one thing. And He puts that finger up, just just one thing. This this you know calloused, grizzled, dirty finger, one thing. And of course the the guy from the city said, oh, that's that's brilliant. What what is it? He says, well, you have to find that for yourself. Yeah, that, that, sounds, that sounds dumb, doesn't it? That's, that's annoying. Right? That's, that's, that's where all of us are. Life's obviously uh, you know, more complicated than that. We'd love for it to be about just one thing. And as we come to, to the third chapter of Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon, the preacher, calls us actually to open our eyes to, to see that, that, that life is, is complex, uh, it 's like a, a time vortex that we 're stuck in you know time is is a machine isn 't it that 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 grinds us up as we go through life but But how do we find meaning and purpose in that well well actually the the preacher says that it, that it does actually come down to just one thing now in chapters one and two of Ecclesiastes, we were uh, being asked to to look at sort of the big picture of life that it it ends in 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 death, doesn't it? And now we come to and we're meant to live life in in the light of of the fact that we're going to die. Now we come to the the present reality of life. He zooms in and and focuses in on on what the the day-to-day experience of life feels like in our world and he helps us to process the meaning behind all the madness. If there's a, a regularity and a and a flow to life outside of our control where does the meaning and our purpose come from? And there's three things for us to see this evening uh, as we look for the one thing. First, we see that, that time ticks on as it, as it ticks away. Secondly, we'll see the secret to life. And then third, we'll see the secret to death. So first, let's see that, that time ticks on, even as it ticks away. Uh, the preacher gets poetical, doesn't he? Uh, he has this lovely little bit of poetry. These, uh, these, these early verses are, are striking because uh, of, of the structure that he uses, these these sets of extremes. It's what's called a merismus. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but that's, that's what I read this week, is what it's called. Uh, uh, the series of, of sort of polar extremes to make a point. And, and the purpose is to help us to to step back and, and to see how life works. You know, in verses, verse two, he states sort of the the, the the ultimate opposite. Uh, the the book ends, doesn't it? We're born and then we die. Now what happens in between? And he has this this whole list. From birth, there's this this ticking clock. We have no idea how many how many minutes are on it. And as we as we go through life, we experience these these series of of joys and sorrows, of of triumphs and, and, and struggles and tragedies. That's what, that's what these statements are, are pointing us to, isn't it? We're not, we're not necessarily meant to take each one of them literally, although some of them we'll, we'll experience literally. What Solomon wants us to understand, what he wants to capture, is actually how life feels. And we, we feel this way in our lives, doesn't it? Like every day we're caught in some uh, uncontrollable flow of time. Each day we're, we're presented with either something that, that we're going to love and enjoy or, or something that we, we're going to loathe and hate. You, know, you, you get up some mornings and you just know, oh, this is going to be a great day. And you get up some mornings and you know, oh, I'm just not looking forward to what this day has to offer. And then sometimes you get up and think this is going to be a great day and it turns out to be a complete disaster, right? We, we have no control over any of it. We just don't know. And is there, any, is there any rhyme or reason to it? You know, if we have too many days in a row of things like like weeping and killing uh, and, and plucking up from the ground and mourning and, and losing and so forth, you know, we start to, to feel in crisis and out of control. On the other hand, if we have, have just too many days of, of the positives, that never seems to quite satisfy us, does it? Either, which, either way, we're left with with this question of, of why. We have this, this pendulum that swings back and forth. And Solomon says that, that this is the, the human experience. And we've all experienced that. We all feel that, don't we? You know, we want life to be simple. We want it to be about that one thing. That's, that's how we approach life, isn't it? Especially in our, in our 20s. We want, we want life to be about that one, that one thing. But then it very quickly becomes about more than just that one thing. You know, we think first of all, uh, I just need a career that's going to be the thing that defines who I am and what I do, and then we think, well, actually, I, what I really need is a spouse—you know, someone who can who can provide me with love and affection and and and, and really uh, uh, love me for who I am. Or we, we think we we want to what we really need is is a house. A place that we can that, that'll provide us with shelter and security. If we can just pull uh, off if we can just pull off all these things together at a young age, then we think that we're gonna be set for life. That that the ticking away of time, we're not going to we're not going to feel so much. It's not gonna have an impact on us like it has on on others. We just, you know, we think it's it comes down to making good decisions, don't we? That it's something that we can control. And and this idea actually has has created loads of anxiety in our day, hasn't it? All these things that, that appear to be uh, easy for our parents feels really difficult for the young people in this room. It's even sparked the, the relatively new phenomenon of what's called the, the quarter-life crisis. That's where, at the ripe old age of, of 25, if you haven't gotten the big three, the career, the, the house, and the spouse, then, then you're left in despair. As though you're, you're never going to have anything. And the middle-aged among us think that's funny. But we're not laughing with you or at you. Or we're not laughing at you, we're laughing with you. Because we all felt the same way at your age. Maybe we've gotten the, the three worked out at some point in our lives. But the, the truth is that, that we're, we're not much better off. You know, there's a reason why people have midlife crisis where they, they buy fast cars and, and go zooming down the road because, uh, uh, because the, the big three didn't do for them what they expected them to do. They haven't delivered on the promises. And I know, I know plenty of people who've lost one or all of those three. I know people who've left behind these things to try and find something more. You know they'll, they'll change their careers because, because they can, but because, also because they, they're just tired of the grind. They hope to find meaning in in something else. So what do they find in their new careers that they that that in a few years later they want to change it again? And they, they try to act as though it's because I'm just so I'm a I'm a renaissance man. I just have lots of interests. The truth is they're they're just trying to find that one thing. The novelty wears off though. The laughing turns to weeping. The stone casting away turns to, to gathering or, or vice versa. I'm not sure which is the good one there. I didn't quite understand that one, if I'm honest with you. Stone casting, stone gathering, I don't know. But you get the point, right? Like we, we, we have this, we, we swing back and forth between, uh, between the things that we think are going to give us meaning, the things that we think are going to matter, whether you're in your teens, your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your, your 50s or beyond. You're going to find that you're gonna, you may dance one day but you mourn the next. That's the point the preacher's making. He wants us to, to, to feel the flow of time. He wants us to feel the uncontrollable nature of our lives, that there's uncertainty to life, and, 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 and that is completely and utterly beyond our control. So much so that it feels like we're, we're faced with a series of complete opposites, and we don't know when we wake up tomorrow which we're going to be faced with. You may feel satisfied today. How are you going to feel tomorrow? It's uncertain. You may feel hated today, but but maybe tomorrow you're you're going to feel loved. And the temptation is to say just, you know, you're just going through a rough patch on those bad days. Just just keep going. It'll get better. Just wait for tomorrow and see and see what comes. But that doesn't really help, does it? When you've experienced deep suffering, that just to say, well, it's a rough bit of a rough patch. Just hang in there. Doesn't really do very much. There's always the, the fear you'll you'll never escape that suffering, and when you have good things, there's always that fear that you're going to lose them. You're anxious about them being taken away. Can we can we, how do we break the cycle? Is there any hope? Can we can we find some meaningfulness in it all, apart from just survive as long as we can? Solomon says that there is actually that there's one way to find satisfaction in our lives, and he shares that with us in our, our second point this evening. The, the second point is the secret to life. Here it comes, you're ready for it. Solomon tells us that there, there is a secret to life, that life is actually in fact about just one thing. and That one thing is, is living in the light of our Creator. He returns to, to this question in verse 9 about what we, what we gain from life. What do we gain from all of our, our toil? What's life all about? Let's look back at, at 9 through 13 again. He says, What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's, he's put eternity into man's heart so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. You see, the great, the great evil of life is felt in verses 1 through 8, isn't it? It's that we we're unable to, to harness the, and control this life that we live. It's that the good things seem to slip through our fingers and, and turn to bad, and, and then the bad things seem to randomly switch over to something good. We can't control it, we can't derive from it the, the benefits that we desire. And we feel, our, and we feel the, the feebleness in, in our, our finite nature when we start to grasp this. And Solomon says that, that when we start to grasp this, we're, we're on the cusp of real wisdom. We're on the cusp of real purpose because, because what, what Solomon needs, wants us to see is that, that this, this sense of, of meaninglessness and this sense of, of, of the, the pendulum swinging is meant to, to make us see that, that uh, we need an actor outside of ourselves whose actions are, are more decisive and lasting than our own. And see, this is where we begin to see God in creation and we begin to feel our need of him in our own hearts. He says that, that this, this creator has, has implanted beauty into our lives and our world, even in the things we find toilsome. In other words, there's, there's no work you can do that doesn't, that doesn't derive some beauty from the creator, but we, we have to look for it. And As we become aware of that, we begin to see that, that there's more to, to our world than, than just us trying to, to survive or, or trying to find joy. You know, we tend to think that our work has, is, has, uh, is just a means to an end, isn't it? That it's there to, to provide us with, with some form of meaning and purpose or that it's there to, to provide us with the money that we need to, to do the things we'd rather be doing. But this isn't, this isn't actually the purpose of our work and our labor, the purpose of our, our toil, is, as Solomon says, is, is to discover the, the fingerprint of the Creator in our world and to find ourselves and, and to find our purpose in Him. This, this happens uh, all the time and everywhere. It happens in your, your workplaces every day and, and, and you don't even realize it. You know, when the, the computer coder sees the, the, the beauty and the, the algorithm that... That he's he's managed to create and finally to get to work. There's there's wonder of the creator in that, when the the builder stands back and, and views the the structure that that they've built, and all of its detail. There's there's wonder in that, isn't there? That the world was put together in such a way that that you can put uh, two blocks on top of each other and and it it holds together. When the person even. Uh, sweeping the floor, stocking the shelves, realizes that, that actually they're, they're serving another human being, another person. They're, they're helping to meet the needs of others. There's, there's beauty in that. There's, there's beauty in the, the toil of, of life and, and, and of our work. And Solomon says these, that, that there's, there's seasons of, of the life that's ordained by God for us to walk through. There's these seasons that we, we go through that, you know, it feels like the pendulum's swinging on, on a day-to-day basis, but actually he says there, there's something more, more set in place, more, more ordained by a sovereign God that we walk through. We see this in, in some of the big things of life, don't we? In marriage, having children, seeing our children grow to adults, seeing them have, have children or grandchildren. There's seasons of, of mourning, aren't there? When we when we bury our parents or, or sometimes siblings, or sometimes even sadly, children. There's seasons of hardship when when homes burn down and, and jobs are lost. And the preacher says that that it all feels chaotic to us until we until we find ourselves in the, the great story of the eternal creator. See, this is what he means by by putting eternity into into man's heart. Yet, so that he cannot find out what that that what what God has done from the beginning to the end. He's saying that 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 to us that, that our, our frustrations and our sufferings and the, the things that we, we feel anxious about in life feel the way that they do because because we don't see how it all fits into the grand plan. And the the last Harry Potter book. Uh, it's been over 10 years since it came out, uh, so I'm not going to give a spoiler alert here. We're not going to pretend like you, haven't, you, haven't, you don't know what happens, that you haven't read it or seen it. But, but, uh, but, but in, in this last book, uh, Harry is, is killed, and he, uh, he finds himself at, at King's Cross Station. And at King's Cross, he has this conversation with the, his former headmaster, Dumbledore. Uh, and he asks Dumbledore, there, there's, I won't go into all the details, but he, he basically asks Dumbledore, do I have to go back to to life in the our world? And Dumbledore says to Harry, actually, you have a choice. You can go back, or or you can choose to take a train. And Harry asks, where, where would that go? And Dumbledore gives the simple answer, on. They'll just go on. And that sounds kind of vague until you stop and realize that that's really and truly the longing of our hearts to, to go on, to, to live on in, in the eternity and to, to understand our place in it all, to, to comprehend how the, the, the sufferings of this world the, the petty frustrations of life, the seeming meaningless of our, our day-to-day drudgery to see how it all fits into the plan of the one true God who has been forever. See, our finiteness and our, our mortality feels like the great curse that we, that we cannot break, but the, the wonder of the gospel that the preacher calls us to long for is to to look to an infinite and eternal God. Christ Jesus laid aside his eternity to enter into our finite world, to enter enter into our our messy lives. He laid aside the eternal to enter into the fleeting. And He laid aside his life so that, that you and I might live in the on. That we might enter into the eternal. And when we enter into the eternal through Christ, then we can accept that what we're told in verse 14 that God what God does endures. And there's nothing that we can add to it. And there's nothing that that we can take from it. But we can also be free to, to live in the temporary, to live in the now, knowing there's, there's nothing better for us than to be joyful and to do good as long as we live. Also that we should eat and drink and take pleasure in all our toil because this is God's gift to us. God's God's gift are the the little joys in life. The the, the drink in the pub with a friend. The the laugh of of a little tiny baby smiling at you for the first time. The, the first job, the, the first time uh, uh, someone says you're, you're hired. There's, there's all these little joys in life. These little things in life that, that the, the preacher says, actually, these are, these are the gifts of God to us. And, and we, can't worry, we, we, should, we, we can't worry about the, all the other frustrations and things. We can't see how all that fits into eternity. But it, he, the promise is it does. And there's purpose behind it. He says the, the gifts of God to us are, are things we should take and we should enjoy. That's the secret to life. Lastly, we're told, uh, the secret to death. There's, there's still issues, aren't there? And there's rather serious issues uh, at that. I think it's it's striking that these, uh, that, that these problems that we struggle with today, the, the ancients struggled with as well. There truly is nothing new under the sun. Solomon uh, up to now has has used death as, as sort of the... The, the foil to, to cause us to embrace uh, and, and live life differently. But this evening, he, he actually points to death as the, the answer to, to one of the most deeply rooted problems in a fallen and sinful world. Look, look back at verse 16. He says, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. and In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. You know, it's, it's fine to say that there's, there's beauty in the everyday world. It's okay to say that there's, there's beauty in our, our toil, but, but what about all the injustices in our world? That's still an issue, isn't it? That's something that, that, that we're really concerned with. What about all the, the, the problem of evil and, and sin and injustice? You know, even the justice in our world feels, feels incomplete, doesn't it? Yes, there are there are clear instances of injustice in our world, but that's not that's not only what Psalm has in view here. He's he's getting down to the real human level, isn't he? You know, he, he's getting down to this this sense of even, even our justice just feels feels like wickedness in some ways. You know, when someone is, is robbed or raped or murdered, even in the, the righteous justice of man, there's there's wickedness there because we can't fully restore what's lost, can we? You know, these are the things that are so so serious they can't be minimized uh, in life or, or dismissed. To suggest to a victim uh, that they should just look for the beauty in its, its, it is it's is incredibly hurtful. And to suggest that a, a, a prison sentence is, is justice feels very insufficient. We can't restore many of the things in this world that get taken away as... Uh, as as the, the preacher said in chapter one of Ecclesiastes, we can't make straight that which is crooked. So we're once again brought to death. But this time to show us its, its purpose and its meaning. That death is, is there to act as, as God's judgment. We, we see that uh, all the way back when, when death entered into our world through sin. When it became this an unavoidable reality of our life that we heard bookend back in verse 2. Whether it was for us humans or for the, the beast, there's, there's one thing that's certain. We're, we're all going to die. And we're all going to die because of sin and injustice. We can spend our lives seeking justice and, and we can spend our lives tweaking our, our wholly revamping human systems of justice. We can become activists wanting to to right all of the wrongs past and present and future, but we we can't erase the damage that's been done or that will be done. See, the finality of of death acts as as the great equalizer, doesn't it? And it's calling us to see that that in life there's, there's joy and there's sorrow. And that sorrow often encompasses deep injustice. And the preacher concludes... But there's nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work for that is his lot who can bring him to see what will be after him. You know, it seems like a, a hollow comfort, doesn't it? Amidst the injustice and suffering we see every day. Unless we begin to see, again to see that, that all these things are outside of our control but that they fall fully and completely under the perfect control. Of a sovereign God who made us for himself, and who 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 is the 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 controller of, of all of our days. He's the one who's given us life and breath. He's the one who's numbered the the ticks of the clock. And he was the one who will bring us to the grave. And what happens after that? The preacher says, Who knows except except for God himself. The good news uh, for us is that God has, has promised real justice as we, we see here. And in Christ, he's promised real grace and forgiveness. That we as, as the people of Christ can, can know and be certain of, of what happens to us after death. For those who, who turn from our, our, their sin and injustice to him who, who died an unjust death, the death that we deserve so we might live on. When we find ourselves in him, we find, we find our place in the eternal. And the promise of that eternal is that, that one day we will uh, understand the, the hidden glory of the ticking of time and the frustrations of life and the injustices of sin. Because the, the creator God, our great God, can, can turn these present evils to his glory. That's what we hear, isn't it, in Christ? And that's what we hear throughout the Scriptures and especially in the New Testament. So I want to close with the words of the Apostle Paul who points to this reality in Romans chapter 8. This is what he says. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Amen. Let us pray.